your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. For those of you driving, good luck out there. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to shoot me a text. Right now, uh, for the hour, I have Adam Hoffer on. He's the director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation. A uh, guy who lives here in Lacrosse says, uh, have you f- shoveled your driveway yet, Adam? I actually, I got out and I cleared off my sidewalk this morning. Uh, and now I realize that was pointless and I should have waited. I know that's I, that, that's the big dilemma. I, so I have to get out of my driveway. And if you drive over your snow, then it gets all hard. And then you, you because you're going to have to shovel it later. But. Also, you you know for for a fact. I think it's gonna snow for the next twenty four hours. So, like, what is the point of doing any of that? Also, people, while you're driving, turn on your headlights for crying out loud. I, there, every fifth car I saw on the road uh, just a, a little while ago didn't have their headlights on, and I was flashing my my truck is twenty five years old, so I have to turn the headlights on and off manually, and I can flash you manually. Um. And I wasn't telling you there's a cop ahead because we're all driving like eight miles an hour. So it's not like I, hey, careful, there's, you, don't be speeding. There's a cop. No, I'm telling you to turn your lights on. Crying out loud. Uh, it was a very big pet peeve here a little while ago. So and now it's only a little bit darker. Um, but I brought you on. There's about five thousand things I want to talk to you about. Um, governor's budget, the Wisconsin budget surplus, how we got a budget surplus, uh, the governor proposing to give $290 million of the budget surplus to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, in in your past, the sports, what would you call it, like sports policy? Uh, this is kind of your forte, right? Now, I don't want to deep dive into the Brewer thing now, but is this is your forte at one point in time, right? Yeah, I, I taught sports economics at, at UWL for 10 years. Uh, I mean, I, I love economics. It's always uh, There's always something fascinating going on. Uh, and, you know, actually today I'm really happy that we can be uh, sitting here talking about a budget surplus, uh, some good economic news. The state has more money than it needs to spend. Uh, so you know, these are some good problems to have, uh, you know, Part of this budget surplus we see might be going to the the Brewers, and again we can dive into that a little more later. Uh, but I guess I'll, I'll just hop into your first question: How do we get a budget surplus? Uh, that is a, a simple and yet extremely complicated answer. Uh, we get a budget surplus because the the state brought in more in tax revenue than it spent. Uh, you know, usually the you know, the, the state revenue. Uh, you know, the, those in the budget office in Madison try to forecast how much uh, money the revenue sources are going to bring in. You know, here we're, we're looking at, uh, uh, we use, you know, income taxes and the sales tax. And uh, anyone in the Little Cross area knows that we, we can levy some potentially heavy property taxes as well. Um, the state brings in that revenue, and then they try to anticipate how much it's going to be and, and use the rest to spend. Uh, this year we have more money brought in than we need, and so uh, it's decision time in Madison on what to do with not only the money this year, but then uh, are there any policies we want to change to help keep that budget balanced and uh, not have you know large budget surpluses or budget shortfalls in the future? Yeah, two years ago, uh, Governor Evers signed a, you know, what maybe some Democrats were mad. He, the Republicans created a bill that gave a lot of tax cuts, I think. 
and Governor Evers signed it and then took credit for it. And uh, I think it it, it it had tax cuts in it. So it, two years ago, we we had some pretty good tax cuts in the state, I guess. And and still we find ourselves we didn't have a giant budget surplus, you know, the last time around. So why do we have the from the people that I talk to, Adam, we're spending more money on things that uh, like uh, at stores. We're spending more money on on things that we buy physically, Amazon or maybe box stores or whatever. And that's do you, can you explain why we have seven billion dollars in budget surplus? I mean, it's. Good news for us, right? Uh, well, not if you're not if you're. <laughs> it's it's only good. Well, it's it, it, unless you want to say this: the state is taxing its citizens too much, and that's why it's stealing all this budget surplus money from the citizens. So, you if you sure. pose it like that, then it sounds like terrible news. But how is the state getting this money? Because if we ta- if we cut taxes two years ago. Then maybe the budget surplus shouldn't be so high, but it still is high. So what gives? Well, I mean, it's a it's so the the underlying positive story that I was trying to lean on is that <laughs> that we are continuing to grow. Uh, the state is growing. We're not staring at a uh, you know a massive recession like many of us, many economists and many policymakers were worried about. Uh, I mean, really, everyone's been worried about a, a recession for almost ten years now. But you know, specifically since COVID. I think that we were worried that, um, you know, people weren't going to go out. We wouldn't get any sales tax revenue. Uh, sales tax revenue is a really big source of revenue for the states, uh, along with income taxes. Um, that We were worried this wasn't going to come back. And so, you know, we, we sort of reined in uh, spending a little bit, but then uh, also got uh, a, some really large payments from the federal government in some of the COVID bills. Uh, that allowed the state to continue to spend money. Uh, and I guess the really short answer is that the economy continues to grow uh, and our revenues have just outpaced the growth of the expenditures. Um, I think of that as a, a positive story, but of course that that's mostly because uh, people turn to economists to try to solve the problem whenever, uh, you know, there are a lot of other states like California, for example, that is facing a massive, massive budget deficit and they're trying to figure out how to fill the budget holes. 608 785 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. Adam Hoffer, Director for Excise Tax Policy at the Tax Foundation, is going to join us. We'll talk about this Brewers deal. I'm still, we're still going to talk budget surplus and then some of the proposals that the uh, the governor has proposed in his two-year budget and, and what to do with this money when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608 608- 785-7914 is the text line. If you want to shoot me a text, you got a question for, we can call, I mean, are you, are you still calling yourself an economist, Adam? I will consider myself an economist for life. Or like an econ expert or something like that, or econ czar. I don't know what we could call you. Um, Adam Hoffer is spending the hour with us. He's the director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation uh, lives here in La Crosse. He, we, we used to bring him on as a UWL economist, but now he's changed jobs. Um, all right, we're trying to. We're, I'm, I'm yelling at you uh, over the break to tell me where the budget surplus money has come from. And when it's seven billion dollars, it's really hard to like point a finger at one in one direction, right? The finger probably you need all ten fingers, and they point in probably ten different directions. Yeah, I mean th- that's exactly right. I, again, the short answer is that uh, we've. We've kept our spending growth 
fairly low, especially compared to a lot of other states. Uh, and our top-line revenue growth has been really strong. Um, we've seen you know, we're, we're buying more stuff, spending and spending, so that uh, that sales tax revenue coming into the state and incomes have uh, been on a healthy growth trajectory. So the state's bringing in more in income tax revenue, too. So, uh, again, like you said, you could look at it one of two ways. Uh, I like to think of it like uh, like filing your taxes in April to the IRS. Uh, if you're getting a refund, should you be happy? Well, it's your money. You can look at it one of two ways. You can be happy that you don't have to write the IRS a check in April, uh, or you could also look at it and say the IRS has been taking more of my money than it needed to all year uh, and just happy to get some funds back. All I do is sweat over the next two months because uh, people keep sending me things in the mail that I'm supposedly supposed to use for my taxes in April, and I don't know if I have them all. I don't keep them in one particular place, and I don't even know what the papers are that I need. So um, by April 15th, or by maybe by like April 7th, I'm like, oh, great. I don't even know what papers I'm supposed to have to do the taxes that I don't know how to do. So super fun. <laughs> well, if, if it helps at all, I'm a tax economist and I still hire an accountant to do my taxes. <laughs> okay. So no, that doesn't help at all. It's worse. I think you made it worse. Um, uh, Republicans in Wisconsin are proposing a flat tax. Do we need $7.1 billion in budget surplus to propose a flat tax? Because if, if, we're, if we're bringing in... Okay, well, how about this? If we have seven point one billion dollars in budget surplus, is there a is our politicians trying to walk the line here? Because maybe in two years this budget surplus it's it's not going to last forever. Or are the things that we're doing to get the budget surplus to where it is uh, something that we need long lasting change? We need to change tax policies because this thing is going to. We're always going to have billions of budget surplus otherwise. Yeah, I mean the, the short answer is that. If we if we have a budget surplus this year, unless something dramatically changes, unless we're really ramping up spending, or unless we're going to see some big revenue shortfall, which, which none of us would expect, I think the default assumption would be that we'd have a budget surplus the next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. Okay. So uh, I, I think a lot of the discussions that I'm seeing in Madison right now are... Well, if we have a budget surplus this year and we're going to have a budget surplus indefinitely, then should we consider changing our policies now so that uh, we're collecting less in revenue or, alternatively, we're spending more of those revenues we bring in every year? Uh, that, I, that's the, the real heart of where I think the flat tax proposals are coming uh, in the states. I think that you know, if, if, we're have, if we have extra revenue, that we don't need. Uh, one of the options is to cut back how much we're collecting. Uh, and uh, right now that proposition is shaping up uh, to be something like a flat tax, so one income tax rate no matter how much you earn in the states. Uh, the real question I haven't seen the uh, answer to yet is what will that rate be? Um, I think that for most of us it would look like a tax cut. Um, and so uh, I think it will be really interesting to see uh, what these proposals look like. Yeah, I mean, if we so when I when I hear flat tax, I'm like, okay, well, everyone's rate is is uh, is at three point five percent or higher in Wisconsin. So if the flat tax, and I I thought the flat tax proposal was three point two five percent. That was the, the 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 proposal that I I've seen. 
Um, so everyone that that way Republicans can say everyone gets a tax cut, but isn't a flat tax just a t- big tax cut on the people that are ta- that like high have the highest percentage of taxes? Obviously, anyone making over two hundred eighty thousand dollars in Wisconsin is taxed at seven point six five percent. So we're just giving them a tax cut. It's kind of infuriating, if you ask me. Well, there's no doubt that the biggest winners from that would be the highest income earners. Uh, like I said, everyone over $280,950, anyone who earns more than that is paying a marginal rate of 7.65%. So uh, the, by far the biggest win would be to the highest income earners. Uh, it would also hit the overwhelming majority of us fall into one tax bracket. The, we have one tax bracket, 25000 to about 280000 that is uh, most Wisconsin income earners fall yep. into that. Uh, so it would be a tax cut for them as well. Um, I, I mean, I, I could introduce a completely separate proposal on the radio here. At, at least I could claim the, the that I came up with it. If uh, if anybody wants to cite it in the future, uh, I've always been a really big fan of uh, increasing the the cutoff for the lowest bracket um, at the federal level. Uh, the first couple thousand dollars of income you earn, you don't pay anything on. Uh, I, I think you know a separate proposal could be something like that. We just start uh, ratcheting up the level uh, of income at which you pay absolutely nothing. Uh, I think that would be a great win for all income earners and uh, would similarly still give uh, large wins to the lowest income earners uh, as opposed to almost all the benefit going to the highest income earners. Uh, But, well, I'm not crafting policy in Madison. Uh, happy to happy to bring it up here on the show, though. <laughs> so anyone making so the like for example, anyone making twenty five thousand dollars and less, your or no anyone your first twenty five thousand dollars you make for anyone in the state, the first twenty five thousand dollars you make in income isn't taxed at all. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> and then and then maybe go from twenty five thousand dollars in one dollars twenty five thousand and one dollars to fifty thousand dollars. You're taxed at like three percent. Yeah, just keep the same. Well, I mean, we can keep the same rates that we have, uh, four point six five percent or five point three percent. So we could, you know, you could do a combination of both, right? Nobody pays any income on the lowest uh, on the first twenty five thousand that they earn, uh, and then you could do a flat tax rate from there as well if you want it. Uh, you know, get it down to something maybe in the four and a half range, or again maybe that four point six five percent. Uh, range. Uh, uh, I'll be honest. I haven't sat down on paper and and done the full modeling of uh, what e- exactly those numbers would be. But that that's the kind of structure that uh, I've always favored when it comes to uh, trying to craft income tax reform. Well, and I never understand why we don't have just ten thousand brackets for this, or maybe not ten thousand, but maybe a hundred. I mean, when when people in Wisconsin are taxed, people that make twenty five to two hundred eighty thousand dollars are taxed the same rate. It's it's laughable. So, like, we could cut that into, like, ten different segments? You could. Um, I mean, personally, I like cutting down the tax brackets. <laughs> I, I I wish that doing my taxes were, were easier, uh, although I will admit the uh, the work I have to put into my state taxes is, is minuscule to what I have to do at the federal level. Um, does any state do what you are proposing? Well, I mean, there are uh, a handful of states that have no income tax whatsoever. Um, I don't know if there are any states that have, uh, you know, zero up until the first $100,000. I know uh, Tennessee, for example, does essentially no income tax, but uh, you only pay income tax on capital gains. So uh, 
selling stock shares and things like that. Uh, so, you know, usually the only people paying the, the capital gains tax in Tennessee are, uh, are people collecting really large sums of money from uh, selling things like stock or other forms of, of assets like multiple houses. Well, and then if if we just well, and if we just went like that route, no income tax in Wisconsin, are we blowing a hole in the budget two years from now or five years from now? Where like, oh bleep, what did we just do? Well, uh, no income tax whatsoever would would put an absolutely enormous hole into the budget if if something else wasn't changed. Um, I, I do believe there were some proposals floating around uh, Madison in uh, some estimates coming out of uh, UW Madison on. Uh, ways in which you could eliminate the income tax altogether. Um, actually, I mean, in Congress right now, the uh, Republican Party has proposed a uh, a replacing the income tax with a sales tax. Um, the the challenge there is that uh, to be revenue neutral, uh, usually you need a really high uh, sales tax rate. Uh, the estimates that uh, my colleagues have done at the Tax Foundation. Uh, showed that to replace the federal income tax with a federal sales tax, you'd need a sales tax rate of uh, upwards of 30%. Right. Yeah, I saw that one floated around, uh, and uh, that that about floored me. I'm like, why would we even bring that up? Even politically. <laughs> politically, that seems like a loser, and in life, that just seems like a loser. A 30% sales tax on everything you buy, including you know a pack of gum, if people are still buying packs of gum. I don't know. Well, I mean... There are there are lots of things if you think about that that tax policy that would be pretty miserable, um, and I, I don't see it gaining a ton of uh, traction politically. Uh, but there are also a lot of really attractive features of that kind of system. Again, if, if you can get over the thirty percent sales tax, uh, I also uh, the idea of paying no income tax is also really attractive. Well, yeah, how uh, does... Now, now, again, do I think it's going to make it very far? I do not. Well, how do Florida uh, and Texas exist <laughs> with no income tax? Like, what are they? what is the alternative? Do they have a giant sales tax then? I mean, almost every one of the t- states that doesn't have a uh, an income tax has a sales tax rate that is significantly higher than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them can be 8 9%. Uh, and then, um, you know, a state like New Hampshire, for example... Uh, they have, you know, exceptionally high property taxes, uh, even compared to what what we would think of as property taxes. And those uh, property taxes fund a lot of the state activity. Well, in my head too, if you're an income taxes, it, it kind of goes um, to different levels of poverty or non-poverty. And, and a sales tax hits people that are poor a lot harder. Even even property tax, if you if you have property, I guess, but. Uh, those things hit the people that are in middle and lower caste a lot harder than an income tax if you have the tax rate, correct? Well, there is no doubt and no debate whatsoever that uh, income taxes tend to be far more progressive than sales taxes or consumption taxes because uh, everyone buys stuff and spends money on things. Like, we're talking even down to the level of food. Um, but not everyone earns an income. Uh, and certainly when you look at how much people can spend, uh, people can earn a lot more money. And again, we, we typically see higher tax rates at higher levels of income. So it's easier to be progressive uh, in income taxes than it is on sales taxes. Uh, property gets, gets a little messier. Um, it tends to, it, property taxes tend to be uh, more progressive than consumption or sales taxes uh, just because, um, you know, 
generally people with higher incomes or higher levels of wealth live in uh, more expensive properties, so they tend to pay a bit more. Um, but at the same time, that's one of the that's one of the biggest debate issues uh, going on in the state as well. Um, the fact that property taxes tend to fund schools, uh, and so you get a really disproportionate level of school funding. Uh, you know, big fancy houses and really wealthy areas put a lot of money into schools, and uh, poor areas just don't get the same kind of funding. When we come back, we'll keep talking about this. Adam Hoffer is director of excise ta- of director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation. Um, and you know what? We can we can talk when we come back about other ways that the state can pillage us uh, through taxes: marijuana, uh, uh, sports gambling, something that doesn't get talked about a lot. But I want to talk about sports gambling because in my state, we're talking about it. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line. Adam Hoffer, the director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation, in here with me. He's uh, We're putting off shoveling our driveways. We're going to talk, make him talk on the radio here a little bit. Then again, it's going to snow for 24 hours yet, uh, possibly. So why shovel? I, I, uh, I shoveled once, and then I waited about an hour to leave the driveway, and then I went, oh, yeah, well, that didn't work. Um, okay, we were talking about uh, Wisconsin's budget surplus and, and trying to get a figure on how we got a budget surplus, but I want to change the tune a little bit and how we can grow the budget surplus, we, how we can tax people even more to get giant levels of budget surplus, and and then maybe we could change the model a little bit. But um, marijuana is an easy one, I think, in just in terms of like, Okay, if we if we legalized marijuana and then regulated it, it's just it would be the same as alcohol and cigarettes. Like just put it in that category, I guess, as vices that we like to do uh, to get high, I suppose. Um, but sports gambling is sports gambling even easier than marijuana in in terms of of regulating and and legalizing, Adam? So I I think that it could be. Uh, these are the things I deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I like to tell people I. Have- uh, the coolest job because all day I deal with. Uh, you, you're a sports gambler. Alcohol, sports, and marijuana. <laughs> right. Well, I have a fr- uh, I have a I have a friend who is like a math genius, and he's created an algorithm to uh, to to those like DraftKings and stuff like that. So sure. when when you and I go, I like LeBron tonight, and you pick your five NBA players to to play for daily sports gambling. And I don't know, is that legal in Wisconsin? Can I do that legally? I don't even know. Um, it must be. But but he has an algorithm that tells him which NBA players are going to do the best against NBA teams. And he just steals all of our money because we throw in three <laughs> bucks because we think it's fun. And he throws in his three bucks knowing for a fact that where he's his algorithm steals all the money and he's, you know, a millionaire. <laughs> well, I, I certainly wish him luck. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really hard to be profitable in any gambling enterprise long run. Uh, was the same. The house always wins. Uh, yeah. Sure, I, I I do understand some players uh, can win. Well, in this regard, he in this regard he is <laughs> he is the house because we're the players. He is the house. <laughs> sure, um, but so to, to answer your question, uh, so sports betting I think is a online sports wagering is a real opportunity for the states. Uh, we do have a budget surplus right now, so uh, the idea of introducing a whole new market, even if it's 
you know, a potential revenue source, $20 million a year, sitting there waiting for the state to pick it up. Um, there aren't a lot of interested parties right now because we're already trying to figure out how to deal with uh, having too much money at the moment. Uh, but I, I do think it's a market we've seen pretty wild success of online wagering without uh, an increase of any real social ills that we could uh, be too concerned about, right? I, I mean, as you mentioned, you're not going to uh, be uh, betting and driving, I guess. Would, would yeah, I said be that. Concern. Oh, well, I said that during the break. Like marijuana, there's, I understand marijuana is a vice that, you know, if I smoke some marijuana and go drive, there is a potential hazard there, and you know it would be illegal to drive after smoking marijuana. But if I if I do a bunch of sports gambling and go drive, there's no downfall to this except for you know maybe I get addicted to sports gambling. But we're kind of already sports gambling anyway, so why not profit from it? No, I mean I I think that's the real opportunity here. Uh, people want to gamble. Uh, we can certainly recognize that gambling can create addictive behaviors and it can be problematic. Uh, and we can commit some of those funds, some of tax dollars, to helping problem gamblers. If they come into a problem, we, we can help them address their problem. Uh, but overwhelmingly, it tends to be a, a win-win-win. It's a, it's a win for the people who want to bet on games. It's a win for the companies who uh, want to help people bet on those games. And it's a win for the states as well because they get a, a – big revenue influx from something that people want to do, and it sometimes are doing anyway. I, I think that's been the argument on uh, almost all gambling markets for a long time, that, uh, you know, people used to call their bookie to place bets on games. That happened. People used to run their own fantasy leagues and find ways to wager on things. That happened. We still do that. Uh, and, and so if it's going to happen anyway, <laughs> why not uh, legalize it, regulate it, uh, and hope create the win-win-win that, you know, we could really all be a little bit better off because of this. Um, yeah, and uh, we did a little bit of this, I think a couple of years ago, Governor Evers and made a deal with one one of the tribes in the state, I think, to be able to sports gamble, have a sports uh, area in, in the casino. But, like, I don't know, is that the only hesitancy? that? And maybe this isn't a question for you, but, like, are we offending – you know, Native Americans, because they have, you know, rights to our addiction to, well, maybe not addiction, but our ability to, to gamble at casinos and whatnot. I, I do see the, the way that we've gone about this, I could uh, actually see it potentially creating a problem if we uh, give monopoly rights to online sports betting to the, the tribal lands, uh, and then all of a sudden it seems like we're taking that away. Um it, it really does seem like we, we've done the sort of stick your toe in the water of the online betting market to see how it goes. Um, and I think so far it's gone really well from the perspective of uh, people are willing to do it on tribal lands. There haven't been too many major problems because, because of this. Um, and so I think it's the kind of thing that could open up statewide if there were uh, a political impetus to do so. Yeah, we just um, again. I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> can we just work out a deal? Like, okay, we're going to allow sports gambling, and you know, a percentage of that goes to uh, the the group that makes money from casinos. I don't know. Like, it's just it, we live in a weird world where the state allows like stupid things like the lottery 
like Powerball, whatever, we can do that without any like hesitation. But, oh, sports gambling, we better not legalize that because there's a whole bunch of money to be made there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You and I should should uh, start setting some state policy. I think we have some great ideas. <laughs> Very half-baked ideas on my half of, of the, the equation here. But Minis- And I bring it up because Minnesota's uh, government has gone full Democrat. Uh, the governor in both houses of the legislature are now Democratic. And what are they doing? They're proposing a bill that's failed in a Republican Senate last year or two years ago. Uh, they're proposing sport, uh, legalizing sports gambling. So the Minnesota, that has a $17.1 billion budget surplus, so $10 billion more than Wisconsin, is also talking about sports gambling while trying to figure out what to do with a budget surplus. They're walking and chewing gum at the same time over there. So I don't know. <laughs> Well, maybe that'll, that'll create a little rivalry and uh, that'll help us get the ball moving here, too. Um, Minnesota's also proposing uh, paying off their their Viking Stadium deal, and I don't want to dive into that, although I was reading a whole bunch about it because it's kind of uh, like I'm like, I'm paying for the Viking Stadium. It makes me mad. Milwaukee County and surrounding counties had to pay for the Brewers Stadium. Uh, you know, I think that just ended a couple of years ago. That's the 0.01% or 0.01% sales tax. Um, the budget the, in Governor Evers' budget proposal, he's proposing two hundred ninety million dollars for stadium renovations in exchange that the Brewers stay here for another thirteen years through like twenty forty. Um, ha- I thought as a society we we were we were done giving millionaire owners, billionaire owners of sports teams, public money to uh, bribe them to stay in the area. I guess that hasn't changed. <laughs> Unfortunately, it has not. Uh, this is something that is literally textbook public subsidies for uh, stadiums. It, it fascinates me to this day. Uh, it's, it's an issue that actually gets bipartisan support <laughs> through most levels of government uh, yeah. that is giving sports teams large sums of money for uh, these really big stadiums, yeah, even it- though they're owned by... Even even millionaire billionaire owners. Even this proposal, Adam Governor Evers br- brought it up in his budget address, and then the Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss was mad not because he offered to give Brewers two hundred ninety million dollars, but he was mad that Evers didn't tell him before he announced it publicly. <laughs> like, this is how yeah. Uh, this is again. You see shockingly little pushback at uh, giving massive subsidies to. Uh, sports teams in this case, but it's it's actually a uh, I think it's a bigger plague on state and local governments nationwide. I guess the federal government as well will bring them into this. Uh, that we we tend to throw a lot of public dollars at really large organizations. Um, you know, Wisconsin has been again, plagued by some of these public subsidies for. Uh, other private companies as well that they didn't necessarily go so well. Um, but the reason that this happens is that uh, nobody wants to be in office whenever they uh, they lose a sports team. Uh, and so they're, they're willing to put our money uh, up for grabs to keep these sports teams and their owners happy. Yeah, do you have any any knowledge as, as to why the Brewers would need what amounts to almost as much as the stadium cost initially? To renovate their stadium, I mean that seems like some mismanagement. Like, what you guys certainly let your stadium get run down if you need the entire cost of the stadium to now renovate it. Two hundred ninety. Yeah, uh, need is a strong word. Um, <laughs> how much do they want? I, I believe the stadium still fully is still fully functional. Um, uh, 
Uh, I mean, I, I I used to have a, a full hour and a half lecture on this when I taught my sports econ class on the, the, the history of sports stadiums, and uh, they are constantly changing. Uh, and I will say that often all these changes are better for the experience in the stadium. Uh, that said, they also tend to be pretty good at then uh, following up with a higher price tag for tickets as well. Yeah, I mean, there there's a world here where, okay, we'll give you $290 million to renovate your stadium and you extend your lease, but also then everybody who works for you, their lo- your lowest paid worker then needs to make $20 an hour. Like, then do I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, that's one option. You could also, you could call it a loan, <laughs> pay it back while you're staying here, um, because these teams do make money. <laughs> Yeah, or you could say we're going to legalize sports gambling and we'll allow you to put a sports booking place in, inside your stadium. I was I was rooting and rooting for the the Las Vegas football stadium to get a a, a casino inside of it, uh, but the NFL went out of their way to expressly prohibit that during the construction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, real quick before I let you go, Adam Hoffer is is obviously been on with us, director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation here. Um, local developments. We have, I always make this joke. We, okay. All, I think all the shop codes in town are getting developed. The Kmart thing, they, at least they named it copper rocks. I think they're trying to develop that area. They said they were going to tear the Kmart down. I think last summer or two summers ago, uh, haven't done that. I drove by there yesterday. I saw that the old Kmart is still there. Um, river point districts coming up. Um, first of all, what do you think of three Starbucks being within one block of each other? And then we're, there's another one on the south side, and I think there's one more being proposed. Uh, people love coffee? <laughs> people love. I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I like using – I mean, I enjoy shopping at Starbucks, but uh, I also enjoy uh, our local coffee shops as well. I, I go, go to Cool Beans, and I stop at Mocha on West Ave. Uh, so I'm a sucker for coffee. I uh, the building of the new Starbucks just simply tells me that I'm not alone in that. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So we have all these developments. The shop goes are going up. But you th- do you think that the River Point District is going to be a game changer for the city? I mean, I, I honestly think that River Point District is going to change the city forever. Um, I, I, and I think, I mean, so there's going to be a lot of new construction. I think it's going to change the feel of the city. It's going to change the feel of downtown. Uh, there's going to be an awful lot of new housing. We're talking about uh, entire new uh, commercial shops and stores that are going to go in down there. Um, I think where the, there are going to be townhouses for sale. There's going to be senior housing. There's going to be low-income housing, uh, an awful lot of apartments. I do think that, I mean, it being right on the river downtown, I, I think it's going to change the feel of the city for good. And 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 you you mentioned location. Is it location that is going to attract businesses to come to that area as well, or businesses to, to come to the surrounding area? Well, I I, I think it'll be both. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, once once some of these buildings are finished and they get uh, the Riverwalk extended from downtown through the River Point District. I think it's going to be a high traffic area. I think people are going to want to be there. And as soon as that happens, the businesses are going to follow. Uh, never I. I wouldn't be surprised to see another Starbucks go in there, too. <laughs> well, what, I mean, will the mayor get his wish and get a Popeye's chicken in there? That's the big question. That is a great question. Um, I hope so. <laughs> All right. That's Adam Hoffer. He's the he's the uh, director of excise tax policy at the Tax Foundation. Adam, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, man. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Hope we can talk again soon. All right. See ya. All right. got to take uh, one more break. 
All right, just going to wrap up here on a Tuesday. Is it only Tuesday or is it Wednesday? It's only Tuesday. Oh, it is Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> uh, coming up tomorrow, who do I have? Uh, Steve Doyle, Assembly Rep Steve Doyle is going to join me. I don't, I, I'm not going to make him drive in here, although maybe he will. We'll see if he's going to come in studio. I told Adam to stay home. Obviously, the roads are... Uh, so drive safe over there, everybody. Turn your headlights on. I think it's dark now, but when I was coming in, man, nobody had their headlights on. Um, I did test out my my electric snow shovel thing. Um, I've come to the conclusion that it's a giant waste of money. I don't know. I, I guess if you had a sidewalk with a snow shovel, I just don't see a, the the electric snow shovel. The benefits to it, I just it just it pushes the snow in front of me, and then I just I got to keep going. To at some point, I have to get a regular shovel to push it the, the giant pile of snow. Or you're just if you're on a sidewalk, what are you doing? Just pushing it down the sidewalk into your neighbor's sidewalk. So, all right, somebody text me the benefits. I mean, we could talk about the the snow shovel all week. I think we do a whole show on the snow shovel. Um, Kent, Kent did text me, uh, because the, the governor Evers proposed 290 billion or $290 million for the brewers in exchange to kind of extend their lease in the city. Uh, Kent texts me, Rick Evers must have a really, have really great seats for the brewers games. And that could be true. And Evers said he's a giant brewers fan. So, um, there, that's part of it. But like I said, assembly speaker, Robin Voss, the re- top Republican in the legislature was mad. Not because Evers was giving $290 million to the Brewers, but he was mad that Evers didn't tell him about it until he announced it publicly. Why? My theory, Robin Voss wanted to sidle up to the you know $700 million Brewers owner. He, I think, The last I looked, the Brewers owner is about worth about $700 million. Robin Voss probably wanted to sidle up to that you know almost billionaire and say, hey, campaigns, you know, donate some money my way, and I, we'll try to get you some... $290 million Brewer Stadium renovations. That's just my theory. Uh, anyone, any one of these politicians that can sidle up to somebody that makes a ton of money that will donate to their campaign, uh, they want to do that. And it sounds like Evers maybe made this announcement publicly before Robin Voss could. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. Steve Doyle, tomorrow.